3: You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a writer and researcher here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous developments we've seen in science, technology, and culture. Today, even babies know not to trust gifts from shady characters, up to a point. And robots smaller than the width of a human hair could be the solution to getting toxic lead out of our water supply. But first, I dig into why lead contamination is an increasing problem in the United States and why it's so harmful to begin with. When you turn on your faucet, you're the final destination in a water droplet's incredible journey through regional and local water supply systems. That drop typically has gone from source to treatment plant to pump station to water tower to water main to local distribution lines to get to you. Here in the United States, a lot of that infrastructure was built immediately after World War II, and some of it even dates to the late 1800s. A few towns in America still have wooden water mains. According to the EPA, at least 30% of our high-use drinking water pipes are more than 40 years old. This aging infrastructure could be a huge problem for three related reasons. First, the CDC only started establishing acceptable blood lead levels for children in the 1960s, meaning that many of our pipes were built before we knew exactly how harmful lead is. Second, metal pipes, depending on what metal they're made of and the conditions where they're laid, can last over 100 years, or as little as 15. And third, this infrastructure is literally buried, so it's difficult to diagnose issues until something has already gone seriously wrong, like in Flint, Michigan, and Sebring, Ohio. All metals break down over time through corrosion and dissolution. That's right, metals dissolve, just very slowly. Water is corrosive by nature because it contains dissolved oxygen. And corrosion is what happens when metals react with oxygen and break apart into particles of metal oxides. This is disastrous for human drinkers because lead is so toxic. Even at seemingly tiny levels of ingestion, it can cause irreversible damage to the liver, blood, kidneys, and brain. In young children and unborn babies, it's been implicated in lifelong behavior and attention problems, reduced IQ, delayed growth, and even an increase in violent behavior. Although researchers are still studying why these effects happen, the leading idea is that atoms of lead displace other atoms and proteins. This can seriously reduce or change enzymes efficiency in our bodies, causing chains of issues from the cells up. Steps can be taken to preserve pipes by controlling water's pH level and adding protective compounds, like calcium or magnesium salts, that will coat the pipes and won't harm humans. But every water system is different, and must be monitored closely. And these are all temporary measures. A report from the American Water Works Association suggests that updating our water infrastructure will cost a trillion dollars over the next 20 years or so. But this is one of those cases where the cost is unavoidable. And, as Flint is finding out, not making needed updates is much more expensive in the long run. Now, senior writer Jonathan Strickland tells the story of another potential solution to lead contaminating our water supply, Tiny, elegant microbots that are reusable and can scrub 95% of the heavy metal out of water in just an hour.
4: One of the more challenging aspects of industrialization is dealing with waste. That waste can include some pretty dangerous stuff, including heavy metals like lead, mercury, and arsenic. Some scientists in Europe are proposing a new way to remove these toxins from wastewater. Tiny robots. These robots are incredibly simple in design. Imagine a tube of material that has three layers. The outer layer is graphene oxide, which adsorbs lead. Yes, adsorbs. That means it holds particles of the metal against the surface of the microbot the way that sand holds onto molecules of water. The microbots' middle layer is nickel, making the tube ferromagnetic. This allows a human to control the movement of the microbots by applying an external magnetic field. The inner layer is platinum. The purpose of this layer is to provide the microbots with propulsion. First you add hydrogen peroxide to the wastewater. The platinum reacts with the hydrogen peroxide, causing it to break down into water and oxygen. The oxygen forms into bubbles, which escape the microbot tube through the back. It's like a tiny little jet engine. According to the scientists, releasing a sufficient number of microbots into wastewater removes 95% of lead in just an hour. Once the microbots have done their job, you'd use a magnetic field to move them to a collection point and lift them out. One quick bath in a special acidic solution later, and the microbots are ready for another go. On top of that, you can reclaim the lead ions from the solution and reuse them as well. As for the other heavy metals in wastewater, the scientists hope to increase the adsorption abilities of the microbots to soak those up in the future. They also hope to improve the manufacturing process to bring down the costs. This could help developing countries process wastewater responsibly while still allowing them to manufacture the technologies we demand, such as batteries. It will help cut down on the environmental impact our consumption has on other parts of the world. Maybe it could even help us treat lead contamination in water supplies and head off future emergencies.
2: Finally this week, senior writer Robert Lamb explores research into whether young children can spot an untrustworthy offer. The good news is, they totally can. The bad news is that their morals crumble if the offer is sweet enough.
1: Here's how the study went down. Yale psychologist Karen Wynn and psych grad student Arbert Asami introduced 5- and 8-year-olds to two characters, a nice kid and a mean kid. They both offered stickers, but while the nice kid offered a single sticker, the mean kid offered between 2 and 16 of the things. Most of the children in the study had no problem rejecting large numbers of stickers from the mean kid, except when the offer hit 16. Because 16 stickers is 16 stickers. Who cares if there's an increased wedgie risk, right? Fair enough. Those are elementary school kids, but what about babies? This is where the study really lands. The researchers conducted a similar experiment with 12- and 13-month-olds, only instead of a nice kid, mean kid, they played nice puppet, mean puppet. We're talking a real jerk here, slamming box lids on another puppet who just wanted to fetch a cool toy out of a box, as opposed to the nice puppet who tried to help. After this little Punch and Judy show, the nice puppet offered the babies a single cracker while the mean puppet offered two. Eighty percent of the babies took the single cracker because clearly this Punch character is not a cool customer. But when Punch offered eight crackers, that's when the resolve crumbled like the very crackers they sought to gum and litter the backseat of mom's car with. So how are we supposed to feel about all of this? I mean, on one hand, it drives home a core fact about infant cognition. Our human larvae come preloaded with the software they need to figure out this crazy, corrupt, and sometimes dangerous world. That includes logarithmic thinking and theory of mind. The ability to judge how another person or puppet is thinking. But does it also mean that humans are sellouts down to our very core? That we have an innate weakness to stranger candy, Nigerian letter schemes and poison apples? Tasimi chooses to focus on the positive takeaway that even one-year-olds are willing to pay a personal cost to avoid slime balls, some regardless of the cracker-based fortune.
2: That's all for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Subscribe now for more of the latest and strangest science news, and send us your ideas for new stories and any feedback or, you know, puns you might have. Shoot us an email at nowpodcast at Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport, and
0: I'm Keebie Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Reality Podcast.